The reading this morning is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You Ben. Father, thank you for your words, and I pray that as um, I speak now, that you would speak to each one of us um, what you want to say to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts that respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm just looking for my clicker. Here it is. So, um, once again, just, uh, I'll never get tired of saying it, welcome. Um, It's good to have you with us. Um, This is week three of uh, preaching on our vision as a church. There's something we're doing throughout September. You can catch up with parts one and two, um, which really underpin what we're looking at this morning. Um, uh, If you're an All Souls regular, please do go back and listen to those on our SoundCloud streams or on Facebook. You can catch up with those. I'll try and recap some of the ground that we've covered, though. Um, So the heart of what we're seeing is that Jesus' call was to become his disciple, his follower, we might say apprentice today. And um, there's a whole history and background to this teacher-disciple relationship. It goes on way before Jesus uh, came on the scene. But the key point is that it was a relationship designed for transformation. And in the church, um, at times we've reduced being a Christian to a kind of an identity Whereas in the Bible, it was much more about a way of life, a a practice, if you like. And that distinction, I think, has been brought into fresh focus in this last week or so with the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, um, uh, who just so clearly embodied, I think, that difference. She knew that Jesus was not simply her saviour and redeemer. She was quoted by Bishop Sarah in that very moving service at St. Paul's uh, Cathedral last Friday or Saturday, I think it was, in which, if you're watching closely, you may have caught a glimpse of the venerable Richard Frank, um, previously of this parish, actually still technically of this parish, singing, singing his heart out. Um, and Bishop Sarah quoted the late Queen as describing Jesus as her anchor and role model. And that language, I think, kind of captures perfectly what we're talking about here. Jesus is not just the God we worship or the savior of our souls. He's our role model, the one that we uh, strive to emulate with our lives. That's what it means to be uh, his 
disciple. So you break that down, and we uh, had this description of a disciple of Jesus under three basic goals. Um, one, to be with Jesus. Uh, two, to become like Jesus. And three, to do what he did. So last week, we were looking at the first of those three and how uh, presence with Jesus is the bedrock of being his disciple. It all comes from that. And uh, that's the central point of this illustration Jesus gives in uh, this the sort of image of the vine and the branches in John 15. For branches to be fruitful, they have to be connected to the vine. A few months after storm, Eunice ripped part of the church hall roof off, um, which was repaired just in time for the heavy rains. Praise the Lord and praise John as well. Um, I was in a park and I saw this tree that had been sort of split. Um, the, the roots were in the ground. The tree had been split by the winds. It was lying broken on the ground. And amazingly, one section of this tree, the, the branches were still producing blossom. Um, but it was a, a false dawn. Um, you know, disconnected from the trunk, those branches won't survive. And they won't produce fruit. They'll dry out. They're only good for firewood. That's the illustration Jesus was drawing upon. Uh, to produce fruit like Jesus, we have to remain in Jesus. To produce fruit of the Spirit, we have to keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. And we touched briefly on um, some of the um, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, they're sometimes called, um, that enable us to be with God. Uh, practices that Jesus himself modeled as the God-man in relationship with his Father. And, you know, it may feel like this sort of the focus on the Holy Spirit and on the presence of God with us is something that's sort of kind of modern, happy-clappy type fashion, if you know what I mean, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Because God's presence in and through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, has been central to every expression of the church throughout the ages. Um, you know, in the service held in Westminster Hall, when the Queen began lying in state, there was a short service and a, a vigil of hundreds of thousands began. The choir sang an anthem, which I recognized from my days as a chorister. Yes, uh, believe it or not, I was once upon a time one of those angelic type uh, boys wearing robes and a scratchy collar. Um, and I hadn't heard this anthem for, I guess, nearly 30 years. But these are the words of it. Jesu, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast. But sweeter far thy face to see, and in thy presence rest. You know, those words go back to the 1100s, and um, they're attributed to Bernard of Clairvaux. I think I'm saying that right. A millennium ago, and a millennium on from Jesus, Christians knew that the key to it all was Jesus's presence. Goal number one, remain in the vine. Be with Jesus. That's the way we produce fruit. It's the way that God transforms us. Today, we're looking at the second goal of being a disciple, which is becoming like Jesus. And this was Jesus's, explicitly, this was his expectation of his apprentices. Uh, Luke 6.40, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So Jesus is saying the point of being an apprentice is not just to learn about your teacher, to understand them, it's to become like them. The fully trained disciple will be like their teacher. And that means change, doesn't it? It means transformation, um, 
Metamorpho is the Greek word in the New Testament, and it's the word we get metamorphosis from, uh, like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly, change in form. So while we've already established that the necessity of being with Jesus to be transformed by him into his likeness, I want to just dig a little deeper this morning and think about how that happens. And frankly, whether it happens, because the story I want to tell you is partly about that question, is transformation truly possible? Does it really happen? So a little bit of my uh, journey of faith. Um, It's a a journey I think some of you might uh, relate to. It's certainly one that's common amongst my generation who grew up in Christian homes um, or have been Christians for a little while. Uh, So that's the first thing to say that, yes, I grew up in a Christian home. um, And when I was five years old, my dad, um, who was a research scientist, he was ordained in the Church of England. um, So I experienced vicarage life for years and uh, vowed that this would never happen to me. (laughs) Sorry, I've had the necessary therapy. Um, (laughs) I joke, it it was great. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd consider it the foundation that I, faith that I was given in my childhood is just the greatest blessing and there was a real sense of um, reality and purpose and mission to it you got to see in a vicarage what somebody once described as being like seeing church with the bonnet up you really got exposed to the realities of ministry by what came to the door or the, the phone calls you answered and the conversation around the dinner table but amidst all of this as I headed into my teenage years I realized that I was a very anxious and honestly pretty unhappy lad. And this was a problem. This was a challenge to me because it felt like it undermined my whole faith story. Surely if I had God, which I did, I should be hopeful, joyful, full of peace, full of the fruit of the Spirit, which I kind of equated loosely to happiness. And the truth was I was miserable, <laughs> or pretty miserable. So what was I to do? Well, in the churchmanship that I grew up in, there were two models of how transformation takes place, really, um, and how fruitfulness really occurs. So model A is, um, you know, God's word, the scriptures. Read these and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Romans 12 says. Have your thinking changed. Um, Model B was the kind of charismatic model, which is sort of let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. I don't have to do anything. Just stand in his presence and let him do his work. And the truth is I spent an awful lot of time standing in his presence, waiting on him. And those two things are really important. I'll come back to that later. But the truth was that nothing much seemed to fundamentally change in me. I was still this kind of ball of anxiety and misery. So this threw up a major question to my faith, which really sort of extended into my 20s. If I did A and B, then why wasn't I being transformed? Can you see my problem? I, I, I tried to, tended to push that question away. But the question I was struggling to face up to is, is transformation of character really possible, truly? And this kind of came to a head when Jess was pregnant with Nathan, Um, And I had this kind of growing realization that who I was, my character as a person with all my worries and insecurities and vulnerabilities would play out in the father that I would become. And that forced me, I guess, again to face this question. Is transformation, is change possible? 
Because it felt to me like the stakes were getting really high. And just to say, this matters hugely for all of us, regardless of whether you're a parent or not. Um, the world needs people of character. We've seen that so clearly this year, haven't we? It's just that the prospect of becoming a dad was the thing that kind of really triggered that realization again for me. I don't know if that's something you can relate to, but I, I do think we all have this desire to change in some way, don't we? Um, from the surface stuff to the kind of the deeper stuff, the evidence is all around us in society, the self-help shells in the bookshops, the Instagram filters, the programs, the substances we consume to make us feel different, you know, sugar, alcohol, medication, something stronger. Maybe you don't need to change. Maybe it's everyone else around you that does. <laughs> Go figure. We want to be different. We want the possibility of transformation to be real. We want to be changed, transformed. But is it really possible? And the short answer I want to offer to that question, is transformation possible, is yes. In fact, it's inevitable. The truth is, you are being formed all the time. The real question is, by what or whom? The world is constantly acting upon us, meaning that the question is not, are you a disciple of Jesus or not? It's, whose disciple are you? Into whose image are you being formed? As a person, as a um, child, as a parent, as a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, whatever, as a friend, a colleague, Discipleship is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. We are all disciples of something or someone. We are all on track to become someone in five years, ten years, twenty years. And who that person is depends on what is forming you, consciously or unconsciously. Either way, you're being formed all the time, every minute of every day. We are a product of our lifestyle choices, our routines, our habits, our rituals, our choices, the way we organize our lives or we don't organize our lives. We are constantly being formed. And this is the model that uh, John Mark Comer, who I've talked about in previous weeks, suggests of how the world forms us and how we are being formed by the world today. So formation, he says, is a combination of, one, the story we believe, the kind of truths we believe, which determine the, the choices we make about the way we choose to live. You know, if you believe that creation, including you and all the people around you, are just a product of evolutionary chance, then you will live differently and treat them differently than if you believe that you and the people around you were created with a purpose by a God of love. Second, the habits we live into. We are ultimately, he says, uh, the cumulative results of our daily and weekly habits. What we do regularly, we become. The things we do, do something to us. They shape us over time, reorient our hearts, our longings, and our loves. You know, growing up, I never drank tea. Um, a few months before I went to university, I got it into my head that drinking tea would be the socially advantageous thing to do. I know. <laughs> but what happened was I visited my sister at university when I was six years younger than her. And I watched people come over to her room in halls of residence to share a cuppa. And I thought, that's what I needed to do. So um, 
you know, I started drinking tea after church. That's maybe the Church of England. Um, in those little green cups and saucers that some of you may remember. Um, I didn't like it very much. It didn't taste very good. And I had a lot of milk and a lot of sugar to disguise the taste. Um, fresh as week, there I was in my room with my tea and my powdered milk. <laughs> and my room was full of my new corridor mates uh, making awkward conversation um, over bad tea and instant coffee. Um, but I no longer required the sugar. 20 years on. Do you want to have a guess at how many cups of tea I consumed writing this sermon? <laughs> I'm going to say it's upwards of 10. I've moved to decaf now because I was just getting too wired, even from tea. I didn't like tea. Now I need tea. And I don't just think it's a case of my taste buds maturing. I like tea because I got into the habit of drinking tea. You know, that may sound very silly, but how many people who are completely dependent on alcohol really enjoyed their first beer? I'm just saying. Three, the relationships we're involved in. Again, parents, we know this. Why else would we be concerned about who our children hang out with? It's because we become like the people we spend time with. Our behaviors, our values, our habits, what we eat, drink, where, how we vote, are shaped by our relationships. And then the environment you exist in, the context. Our context is 21st century London, isn't it? There's a a lot of cool stuff about living here and being here. We've been learning that. We've been here about a year now, just over a year. So much opportunity in life. I I can't remember who the famous quote was. When a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. Who was that? Was that Samuel? One of the Samuels. Um, But like every environment, it exerts a pressure on those living in it. You know, I've never lived in a place so dangerous to cyclists where so few people wear helmets and use lights you know genuinely Luton Exeter Bristol Chorleywood Uganda maybe not so much Uganda cyclists are far more likely to wear helmets and use lights not in London the place we call home shapes us which by the way is not just a geographical thing it's a digital thing too We are shaped by our digital world as much, if not more than, by our physical world. So, Coma suggests, these are the four key factors which form us into the people we become. Um, Family of origin plays a huge role, obviously, but we are shaped by our experiences and our environment. And he says you don't have to plan or strategize this kind of formation. All you need to do is wake up, go about your day, and formation will happen. Being a disciple of Jesus is to say that I want that formation to happen more intentionally and in a chosen direction. And that direction is into the image of Jesus, to become like him. This is what we call in Christian circles spiritual formation, which Dallas Willard um, describes as uh, the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Last Sunday, I mentioned Eugene Peterson's idea of a long obedience in the same direction. Whatever we do a long obedience in the same direction to, we become. So I'm 30 years old. I'm on the cusp of becoming a dad, and I want to change. Um, How? (laughs) Well, therapy for a start, which is great. Um, But I realized that there were additional aspects to consider that I really needed to consider if I 
wanted to change or become like Jesus. And again, please notice the language here. I didn't say things I needed to do to please Jesus. I didn't say stuff I had to do to make myself right with God. There's been a lot of misunderstanding about spiritual disciplines and practices um, over the centuries, uh, where something that's um, designed to be life-giving and good has been twisted into some sort of prerequisite for salvation, earning our way to God, which totally misses the point. We cannot be saved by our good works, only by Jesus' death for us. But sometimes we come to think that grace is opposed to works, but it's not. Grace is opposed to effort. No, try again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You know, one thing, uh, one mistake we make is to think that we can put ourselves right with God by what we do. The other mistake is to think there is no value in what we do. Both are wrong. Our salvation is a gift from God, but our formation is a shared responsibility between God and us. Without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. God has a role to play. So do you and I. So part of it is definitely those things I mentioned earlier, the renewing of our minds through scripture, the time spent in his presence. We need to be taught. Our thinking needs to be corrected, um, you know, offsetting that narrative of the world, um, you know, the story we believe or are taught to believe. You prevailing story the secular world preaches. You are precious. You are not an accident. You are not a temporary blip in a meaningless universe. You are a child of God. And our thinking is shaped in God's presence, remaining in the vine by holding on to the words of Jesus. But there were two main things that I needed to add to be formed by Jesus rather than the world. The first was um, practices, as we said, intentional behaviors, habits. If character is formed by our habits, then if we want our character change, we're going to need some different habits. Second was community. If we're formed by relationships, we need to belong to a community of people who share that desire to live like Jesus and want to figure that out together. And just to say, those two are not um, kind of add-ons to the first thing about being with Jesus, having our thinking transformed or being with Jesus, remaining in him. These are the things that help us to be with Jesus and to be transformed by him. And the practices part is kind of like the counterpoint then to the habits bit of the formation. Habits we tend to think of as unintentional. It's the stuff we do without trying. I bite my nails. Practices are kind of the intentional equivalent. If we want to become like Jesus, it's logical that we should um, adopt uh, or very least explore his habits, his practices. And uh, I listed some of those last week. This is not a definitive list, but you know, it's an attitude we can adopt when we come to Scripture, when, particularly when we come to the Gospels and we see how Jesus lived. Why did Jesus do what he did? And what effect did his habits, his practices have on him? Practices are how we are formed spiritually. In the same way that um, physical disciplines form us physically, how we train for sporting success or not. You know, you, you can't just think your way to 
victory. And tactics play a part of it. I'm thinking Monday night football here at the moment. But, you know, you can't just be good at football by thinking about football, despite what all the armchair fans think, you know. (laughs) Practice forms us. Second, uh, community, the counterpoint to the relationships that form us. Some relationships we have no choice over, um, some we do. To be a disciple of Jesus, we need to be with other disciples of Jesus. This week I heard that classic and, I have to say, slightly heartbreaking statement where somebody told me that they don't think they need to go to church to be a Christian. And in a sense, they're right. (laughs) If we're talking about belief or identity, you could question how long that belief or identity will last if they're not um, together with other coals only stay hot coals only stay hot with other hot coals right but if we're talking about discipleship about formation about becoming like jesus they couldn't be more wrong one of the biggest changes in my 30s was that got the ball rolling with a kind of a genuine intentional desire to be transformed um was the development of significant friendship with a couple of guys um, who were in the same place as I was and asking the same sort of questions. I know for many people in this church and in other churches, they will trace the times of greatest formation and change in their lives back to um, some significant relationships with other disciples of Jesus. It's essential. It's the way. And I'm delighted that you're here. It's great to have you with us on a Sunday morning, whatever your reason for being here. But if you're expecting transformation to become more like Jesus on the basis of one hour on a Sunday morning every week or every two weeks, you've got to recognize that you're kidding yourself. I mean, my preaching is just not that great, okay? (laughs) 20 minutes of Joe talking is not going to make you like Jesus. (laughs) And I have to say, you know, I feel as a church, this is something maybe we failed to do a little bit, you know, failed to facilitate. Um, I know COVID made meeting together really difficult and gathering pretty much impossible, literally impossible at times. The church has to have relationship at its heart. It's essential that we do all that we can to make that possible. There are a few ways that you can um, connect to go deeper during the week. Monday football, believe it or not, is a genuine way of connecting. Friday women's group, um, uh, Caroline gave us a great notice about that last week. There are a few small groups knocking around which you can um, read about in our sort of autumn term um, card, different ways that we gather um, as church. But this is something that we really need to develop in 2023 as we go into this next year. I believe that the impact of this church going forward, which we'll kind of talk about next week when we're um, doing what he did, will, the impact will be in proportion to the numbers of us who are intentionally nurturing relationships that help us to become like Jesus. Um, very quickly, uh, two ways that these sorts of relationships form us, um, and then I'll finish with the takeaway. Um, and my clicker has just stopped working at this moment. That's okay. I don't think, I think we can live without. I don't know. Emily, do you want to just try double-clicking on it again and seeing if we, get, if we can get moving? Don't worry. I think we're fine. Um, so again, these, two, these ideas about community are from John Mark Comer. So community does two things, he says. One, exposure. Um, It's like the squeezing of a sponge. Deep community shows what's inside you. Um, Relationships do that, don't they? They show us who we really are. Oh, amazing. Wonderful. Thank you. 
There we go. Brilliant. Um, relationships reveal who we are, don't we? Um, and, and quite often how messed up and selfish we are, let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Second encouragement, community offers encouragement. In discovering who we are, loving community helps us with that. It meets us there, it accepts us, and it says together we'll journey as we seek to be transformed into the image of Jesus. So uh, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and next week we'll have a look at doing what he did. Here's a takeaway from this morning. Whose disciple are you? Who are you becoming? Who are you on track to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, whatever? Whose likeness do you wish to be formed into? Now, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe truly that the best possible answer to that question for me, for my kids, for you, for this church, for everybody, for the world would be for us to become more like Jesus. The most perfect model of humble, self-giving, sacrificial, strong, compassionate, combative in the right way, joyful, peaceful, loving, kind, patient. The list goes on. The perfect human, the God-man. Transformation is possible. In fact, it's inevitable. The only question is whether you want to let that happen by chance or if you want to make a choice about it. Tomorrow we bury a queen whose life and death has led to an outpouring, really, of love and respect. And the qualities that people have most lauded in her most celebrated are attributes that she attributed to Jesus, her Lord, her anchor, her role model. He was the vine that she remained in, whose disciple, she, he, he was the rabbi, whose disciple that she strived to be. And I can't think of a more fitting tribute to her memory than we choose to do the same.